back and have a great time. All right. Take your Bibles and let's go with me tonight to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible there in front of you. And uh, you can find it in the back. I believe I looked it up a few seconds ago and I believe if my memory is correct, it's page 235, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, page 235 if in your pew Bible if you don't have a copy of God's Word yourself. So if you're looking at Hebrews, it's toward the back of your New Testament, and then it's toward the back of the book of Hebrews. If you see Revelation, or even James, you've gone too far and go backwards left just a little bit. You know, we joke, but anymore I've come to realize there's a lot of people that walk in the doors of church that don't have a clue about what the Bible is. And I want to make sure that my preaching is understandable. I don't want to just preach to giraffes. Spurgeon, I think, used to quip that uh, Jesus said, feed my lambs, not my giraffes. So uh, I'm not calling you uneducated or unintelligent. I'm just saying i got to put cookies down where everyone can get them. And I like cookies too, don't you? Yeah. And we got some cookies tonight in the Word of God. Some good stuff. So make sure you're following along with me. And again, let me just say this. I want you to see exactly what the Bible says and what the Word of God means. Because my words won't leave this room, but the Word of God is eternal. So if you don't have a Bible, look on with your neighbor, or look underneath the pew in front of you, and there's some hymnals or some Bibles. And if you, don't, if you see your neighbor doesn't have a copy of God's Word, or you see somebody in front of you or around you doesn't have a copy of God's Word, please uh, allow them and share your copy with them, and that would be a blessing. I want, to see, I want everyone to see what the Word of God says. And that's my goal tonight. We're going to read the verse in a minute. But I'm going to say this, and I'm going to back it up. Every single one of us need the truth that we're going to look at tonight. And some of you are like, wait a minute, Brent. How do you, you don't know me. I'm going to go further. Every single one of us struggle with this area in some way, capacity, or form or other. <laughs> that's pretty harsh, don't you think? And some of you, that's probably a good way to lose the audience right from the bat, isn't it? Here's your problem. I'm going to tell you about it. But seriously, if you'll stay with me and let the Holy Spirit speak to you, I believe God can minister grace and help and challenge every single one of us, myself included. The issue we're going to look at tonight is plaguing our churches. And I would go so far to say that it's one of the biggest issues we're facing in our churches. And we're going to see what it is here in a second. But before we do, let me ask you to be open to this. I know I just alienated the whole audience, but would you be willing to be changed if God wanted you to be changed? If God pointed things out in your life tonight, would you be willing to get honest and confess them? You're not moving your head, you're not nodding, you're not doing anything. Would you be willing to be changed if God wanted you to be changed? Okay. It's Monday night, but you can respond back. Yesterday I learned that I got to come down here sometimes for you to because I just look too tall and aloof. I'm in the high pulpit with my high collar, as we saw last night from Zechariah seven. No, no, will you be changed if God wants you to be? It's an incredible opportunity we have to interact with truth and be changed, but God doesn't force us. It's it's an amazing thing that there's a sovereign God who needs nothing, who sits in the heavens and has done whatsoever He wills. And yet when it comes to interacting with mankind, he doesn't force you and I to do exactly. He doesn't need robots. He wants men and women with a free will to choose, to obey, to follow, to trust, to submit to his word. Wow. Look with me what it says here in verse 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. 
looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that after, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he saw it carefully with tears. Father, would you work in our hearts tonight? Would you help us see where we're at in this passage? Would you help us be honest? And I know there's several visitors in here that have, I've not met yet. And it's, it's easy for us to put up fronts and to say, ah, oh, this isn't me, this is for other people. But Lord, would you show each and every one of us where we have failed, where we have let evil come in, and where we're better. Would you show us in your word what this means? We need your help. I need your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes tonight, we have three points. And they all come straight from the text, and they all begin with the little word lest, L-E-S-T. So you'll see three lests in your Bible, and those are our three points. So follow along with me, and look what it says beginning in verse 15 again. Looking diligently. Now, pause right there for a second. How many of you can point to like a camp service or a special revival service or a special Sunday, you may not even remember the date, where you made a decision, a specific decision in the Christian walk, where, and you haven't really struggled with that since that time. Can you, can you, maybe it's a camp service. I can. There are certain decisions I made as a teenager at camp at the Bill Rice Ranch, uh, a few miles from here where God worked my heart. And I can still remember that. And by the grace of God, I haven't really struggled with that. Have, can any of you remember something like that? Yeah, all of us can. Tonight, the issue we're looking at is not one of those issues. Tonight, the issue we're looking at that you and I have to do business with on a consistent basis. In fact, you can get things right tonight, and tomorrow something may happen that you'll have to come back to the same truth. Next week, you'll have to come back to the same truth. And the following, following, following year, Jesus face to face, we're going to have to do business with the truth we're looking at tonight. I know that may not be encouraging. Oh, I was hoping for this one magic silver bullet to put into my gospel gun and to Looking diligently. Now look again at verse 15. Look what it says here. Lest the grace of God fail any man. Wow. It's Monday night. A little slow here tonight, guys. Is that what your Bible says? I know some of you have had a busy day. It's dark. You just got into some nice warm building and it's, you know, fluffy chairs. And you're like... Keep me awake, Brent. But I'm going to have to try to keep you awake, and I'm going to try to interact with you. What does it say? Lest any man fail the grace of God. Now, we've got to get this, and here's the first point. Here's what happens first. You and I fail grace. You and I fail grace. And it's a downward progression, as we're going to see tonight. First thing that happens, you and I fail the grace of God. What does it mean to fail grace? I have three friends who believe, they, they look at this verse and they say, hey, look, you can lose your salvation. Not what this is talking about at all. We are eternally kept by the power of God. Jesus has us in his hand. God the Father has us in his hands. The Holy Spirit is us in the day of redemption. This verse is not talking about losing your salvation. That's not what this is talking about. Look again what it says there. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Here's what happens. With every difficulty issue problem that you have are or will facing God's grace is sufficient to get you through it doesn't matter 
what you faced. doesn't matter what you are facing or will face. And we can take a mic and go around this room and we've all faced something, haven't we? doesn't matter what you have faced or are facing or will face. God's grace is sufficient to get you through that issue. Have you ever looked at somebody going through a trial and thought to yourself, I don't know how they're making it? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I have. How, how in the world are they making that? I, I don't know. Well, God gave them grace. Got grace that he has. I could never do that. You're right, you couldn't because God hasn't given you the grace to do that. Keep your finger here in Hebrews 12 and go with me over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12, Paul's being very open. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, unless, verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul said, I have this thorn in the flesh. He doesn't clearly explicitly state what it is. Many Bible scholars think that it had something to do with his facial features, perhaps his eyes. He had eyesight problems. We know that. He says later in another place that how large of a letter I wrote with my own hand. I.e., normally he used a penman to pen his letters. Uh, he had eye problems. Uh, but when he really got excited, he wrote it himself, and it was, it was large script letters. He said, I'll I have a bodily presence is weak. And people look at him They weren't very excited to look at him. Perhaps through the, the different uh, adventures he had been on, uh, like being Perhaps he had faith in Laurie that minister. He had Whatever it was, Paul, as it says there, this thing I must write that it might depart from me. So three specific times Paul We're not told there that it's wrong at all. But notice the response. And he said unto me, Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Jesus told Paul, I'm not taking the issue from you, but my grace is sufficient for you. And it doesn't matter what you have faced, what you are facing, what you will face. In ministry, I faced some hurt. There's been people that have said things. But that's not just a ministry, that's a life, isn't it? In life, there's been some setbacks, some problems, some issues. But that's all of us. Sparks fly up. What you and I have faced, grace is sufficient to get through from here to the other end. Now, uh, we mentioned, I think, yesterday morning, in, I think it was Sunday school, or I forget what it was. I think we mentioned Romans 8.28. Did we talk about Romans 8.28? Can you say it with me? And we know that... For good. Now, hold on. I know there's more to verse, but all. Let's talk about that all for a second. All? Come on. Really? Paul, you're writing all things? Cancer? Job loss? Abandonment? Abuse? Physical problems? You could go down the litany of problems that men and women have faced in this room, and you're trying to tell me that all things are working together for good? Well, we saw yesterday in Sunday school that we should count it all joy when you face different types of problems. Why? Because God's using them in our hearts and our life to work, to change us. 
All things are working. All things are changing. All things are for our good. Do you know the story of Joseph? Yesterday morning we were talking about Jacob. In fact, we'll see. We just read it. His name Esau is in this passage as well. But do you know the story of Joseph? Genesis 50. I love what happens here. Jacob's been in the land, I think, 15 Now, 15 years, and they come back to Joseph really sheepishly, and you can kind of see in the text, and they say, hey, so, um, you know how we kind of sold you to slavery. We you, and that probably would have been better for you, but we sold you to slavery. And you to say much not one who was perfect in this you can see what he named his sons and he struggled no doubt he had a lot of nights laying in that prison thinking to himself this isn't fair this isn't right there's nothing good that can come of this he many many points in his life failed the grace of God if we want to go back to the well passage but he realized that hey and that's what you and I have to keep in mind. It doesn't matter what you faced. Physical problems represented in this room, has there not? Yeah. There's been spiritual issues, financial issues. Probably all of us have had those. There's been ministry setbacks. There's been problems. There's been issues. There's been family problems. It doesn't matter what you and I have faced. God's grace is sufficient. And we have to come to realize that. Look again what it says there in Hebrews 12. Looking diligently, verse 15, lest any man fail the grace of God. Failing grace is saying something like oh, there's nothing good that can come of this. There's no way this can be good. There's no way this challenge, this trial, this setback can be good. There's nothing good that can come of this. This problem, this issue, is there's, there's nothing good. That's failing grace, and oftentimes that's what we do, isn't it? We fail grace. What does appropriating or applying grace say? Applying grace says, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense, and it's rather painful personally, but I choose by faith, and you've got to do it by faith because the sight thing doesn't work at the time. By faith, I choose to believe that you're using this challenge, this step back, this difficulty, this issue in my life, for my good and ultimately for your glory. That's what applying grace does. The grace of God is the vehicle of the Christian life, and the grace of God says, hey, come on, you can make it. But so often we fail grace, we say, oh, man, it's not right, it's not fair, it's not easy, it's not, it's not just. And it could be tonight that there's some of us here who are thinking about an issue. Perhaps something happened years ago. And we can all remember things that were said to us as a kid. We can all remember a situation in the classroom, perhaps, as a kid where we were treated unjustly. We may be still hanging on to it. Where it could be a boss or it could be an employee or it could be some sort of co-worker situation that they, they trampled us. We trusted them and they let us down. They said something. They did something. They, they, they stomped on us. 
And it seems like we have been hanging on to that for so long. And friend, if that's you, you failed grace. You have failed the grace of God. And let's be honest, we do this on a consistent basis. We fail grace. Grace is, hey, come on, keep moving forward. Keep looking under Jesus. Keep trusting him. Keep walking with him. But we say, oh, I can't. There's nothing good. No, oh, man, this is horrible. It could be that if I said the name of a person, and this situation may have happened decades ago, but if I said the person's name, former boss, former employee, former family member, if I said their name tonight just right now, instantly your whole countenance would sour. And you've got the, you've got the argument won. Every time you're taking a shower, you, you're the judge, justice, and jury, and you win the argument. Man, and you, you nail them, and you sentence them repeatedly. You failed grace. And let's be honest, we do this consistently. We fail the grace of God. We don't let the grace of God come in. We, we fail grace consistently. It could be tonight that there's something that you wish were just different. You wish you were born into a different family. You failed grace because God in his sovereignty and wisdom put you in the family he put you in. It could be you wish something was different about you physically. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that when we have too many uh, little Debbies and potato chips, that, that changes. No, that's our own fault. But sometimes people just wish, I wish my hair color was different. I wish my body type was different. I wish my gender was different. And, you know, the litany goes on today's age. That's failing grace because you've chosen not to trust the good God. That's failing grace. We could go down the list, but the fact is there could be health problems, abuses, employers or employee problems. Uh, it could be physical problems, family problems, friends who lied about you or to your back or even to your face, parents who you feel mistreated, your kids who have done you wrong. It doesn't matter. The list is incredibly long. As long as there is relationships, the list is there that you and I can fail grace in this capacity. But it doesn't stop there. Look again at your Bible in Hebrews 12, and look what it says again in verse 15. Looking diligently, number one, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Number two lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Now, notice the way this is stated. It's a downward progression. We're going to keep seeing this. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness is the direct result of failing the grace of God. And notice what it's described as a root. How many of you have ever tripped on a root? Can I see your hand? Yeah, all of us. I grew up in Florida. We have live oak trees that send their roots out everywhere, and then we have cypress nubs everywhere. So if you grew up in Florida, the chances of tripping on a root are like, yes, you do. And other places don't have as many tree roots, but most of us, if, if we are honest, have tripped at some point in time on a tree root. Would I be honest? Would that be a fair assessment? At some point in your life, you've tripped on a tree root, Right? Why do you think the author uses that analogy as a root of bitterness? Because sometimes we think of it as a harbored thing that hangs on in our life, and that's definitely part of it. It's a root that's hard to get out, but it's also the thing that comes up and trips us. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. It springs up. It just comes into our life. It trips us up on our Christian walk. It, it, it comes very quickly. And perhaps you've been there where you've been happy, excited, happy, go, you know, enjoying Christian life, and all of a sudden you go through the season where 
It seems like has this like aftertaste to it. You know that morning breath taste you wake up with sometime? Yeah, you know that? You have that taste toward like church. Here we go, got to go to church. Here we go, got to do spiritual things. Here we go, got to do this, got to do this. I've come to see in my life that's bitterness. It's that poison that, that affects everything in your heart and life. And it could be that you are functioning, you're smiling, yet you're bitter. And I would go so far to say to tonight on a Monday night revival service, there are bitter people in the room. And I would say perhaps many of us, maybe even the majority of us tonight, are bitter. And that's why I've asked God to help us and show us where we're at on this. Because it's easy to see in the lives of others, isn't it? How many of you know somebody that's just absolutely bitter? How many have a friend, or maybe not too close, a friend, a neighbor? I can tell you a story of neighbors, of friends that street when I was growing up. I mean, just me called the cops if you, like, looked at her type deal. Oh, we've all seen those people who are just, you know, the modern day we call them uh, Karens and whatever the, the, yeah, have you seen those? Just, who are just mad, everybody. Years ago, when I was in high school, my youth group would go to a nursing home each Sunday afternoon or on door-to-door visitation. Uh, if you let those nice youth group, there'd be a group of them on the door and we would go to the nursing home. Now, some of you may have heard this. I may have shared this. And some of you know my youth pastor who, also, uh, who, who this happened to. Well, one of my friends was one day playing the piano in the nursing home. He was just playing the piano in the nursing home. And what we would do is we'd go around the room and push the That's where I cut my teeth. Man, something has changed, I guess, in 25 years. Sleep. Have all these 90 year olds, oh, that's the Lord. Anyway, we would have a service and we would lead the service. It was a great practice to both life skills and ministry for young men. So one day, my friend was playing the piano, and one of the ladies didn't like him and began hitting him, shoving him. And he's just playing the piano, like, well, my youth pastor saw it and goes over and tried by the shoulders. Hey, let's have a seat. Well, she didn't like that either. He turned squarely and went, <laughs> a bitter person. We can all say amen to that. That's a bitter person. But I would tell you and say again that there's bitter people in this room tonight. You're smiling. You're. But if I said something You were part of a former church, former boss, former employer, whatever. Cases, instant. You're grateful. Your whole countenance would change. You may not even do it out loud. You may not even show it much, but inside you'd be like, this is for sure. That's bitter. You may not even want to. And all it's got to do is destroying you. It's destroying you. Pet. I pet it, I feed it, I nurture it. It's destroying you. We've got to get honest. We have to get honest about the sin doing to us. Look again what it says here. Verse number 15 again. The sin of bitterness, it springs up. It troubles you. And thereby many be defiled. 
it springs up, it troubles you and many be defiled. I've talked with many pastors who said in honesty, in private confession, I, Brent, I've struggled with bitterness towards certain aspects of the ministry, towards certain people who've mistreated me. I've talked with many evangelists who've struggled with bitterness. If pastors evangelize, I've talked with many missionaries who've struggled with bitterness at what has or hasn't happened on the field. If they can struggle, if God's people, if God's ministers can struggle, men and women who are committed, sold out to doing God's work can struggle with bitterness, it's quite possible that every single one of us can, myself included. Notice how it's described. It springs up, it troubles you. Bitterness means poison, and it's the direct result of failing the grace of God. It's a poison that poisons you. If you're hanging on to something, if you're not willing to forgive, if you're hanging on to something, if you're internalizing something, if you're not willing to apply the grace of God to a situation, the friend, it is troubling you. It's destroying you. The Bible says very clearly that it troubles us spiritually, first of all. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And some of you haven't had a vibrant prayer life in a long time. You haven't had a passion for what God wants us to have a passion for because you're hanging on to something. You were hurt. You were wounded. And hurt people still hang on to it. You're going to hang on to it for a long time. But it also troubles us physically. Uh, even the secular me medical profession has linked many diseases directly to unforgiveness. The merciful man, Proverbs 11, says, doeth good to his own soul. But he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But a broken spirit dryeth the bones. We have all can tell stories of people who age prematurely, prematurely because they held on to something. I graduated from high school 20-plus years ago, and I go back and I look at some of the people. I'm friends with them on social media. I look at some of the people I graduate with, and I'm like, whoa, what happened? They, they look like they're a lot older than I am, and they're, well, I know they're not because I know their birthday, and they're actually younger than I am. Oftentimes, I found in ministry that's because people are hanging on to things. They're hanging on to it. Yes, they lived a hard life, perhaps. Yes, sin has gotten involved, and that's part of this. But they've, they've, they've hung on to something, and as a result, it's troubled them. Notice what else it says. It troubles you, and thereby many be defiled. The biggest lie that people believe about bitterness is that it's just affecting me. It's just, I know I'm probably not, I probably need to forgive, but it's, it's just affecting me. It's just, it's just affecting me. It's not affecting my family. It's not affecting my spouse. It's not affecting my kids. It's not affecting it's not affecting the job site or anything like that or the workforce. It's just affecting me. That is completely wrong. Because it's not only is troubling you, it is destroying those around you. It's been said before, but hurt people hurt people. Stop and think about it for a second. Hurt people hurt people. If you're hurt, you're going to be hurting other people, whether intentional or not. Because that bitterness is destroying others. One author said bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping somebody else falls over dead. And that poison affects not just you, it troubles you, we know that. But it destroys those around you. I can tell you story after story of marriages that have been blown apart, churches that have split, workforces that have been divided, families that have been torn apart, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, you name it. You go down the list because of bitterness. It destroys others. I can tell you story after story of moms and dads who got bitter at church, at God, the ministry, whatever the case is. And as a result, their kids today are absolute messes, some of them sitting in jail from Bible-preaching churches. 
And you can tell stories as well. I think this cause, this issue that we're facing is one of the biggest issues that we don't want to know about. We kind of brush it under the table, but it's not. It's a huge issue. It troubles others. It destroys relationships. It splits us apart. And we think, oh, I'm fine. It's just me. I just, you know, I went through some hardship as a kid. I went through some hardship. And we like our labels. We like our, we pet the sin. We feed it. We nurture it. We win the argument. But inside, we don't realize it's destroying our life and those around us. But the Bible doesn't stop here. You see the little word less. We see two of them in verse 15. But there's a third one in verse 16. First thing that happens, verse 15, you fail the grace of God. Second thing that happens, that root of bitterness brings up, troubles you, and many are defiled. But there's a third thing that happens. Look at verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. God himself connects these sins here, the sins of fornication and profanity. And he gives us the biblical example of Esau, who was bitter. Perhaps Esau was bitter at his parents for how he was treated. And we would look at that, oh, he had every right to be. No, no, no. He failed the grace of God. He let that bitterness in. And as a result, he acted out onto it in dirtiness and emptiness, fornication and profanity. And it could be tonight there's individuals here, and I don't know. Pastor hasn't told me. I haven't been snooping. Could be tonight there's individuals here that are dirty in your mind. You watch, you view, you listen to filth, to garbage, to things that you know aren't right. You have an unhealthy, unbiblical desire for garbage. And because of bitterness, you've been hanging on to. It's amazing how this works. You let bitterness in your heart and life, and one of the first sins is fornication, dirtiness. I don't know. I don't know what you're watching. I don't God's people divert often. And when we don't handle it correctly, we internalize that. And very quickly, it leads to bitterness. Sometimes within days, sometimes within minutes, it leads to bitterness. That poison in your life. We stew it. We let that bitterness, that bitter spirit come out. But one of the things that can happen is that God's people can justify filthiness. Well, I think we lost my life. This picture, this magazine, this Men, young women, not so young men, not so young women, who justified filth in their life because, well, everything else in my life is horrible, but this one aspect of my life is great. Uh, everything else is bad, but I turn to this to cope. I, I read this, I listen to this, I have this type of thought life to cope with the problem. That's fornication, and possibly it's because of bitterness and because of failing the grace of God. This happens all the time. God tells us husbands. How many husbands do we have tonight? Husbands, love your wives. What? Be not bitter against them. Let's be honest. I'm going to be careful because I realize it's a mixed audience and I realize the age you do, but I'm going to be honest. Little things get said in the home. Little things. The husband, if we're not careful, we can, we can just internalize something. We can be driving away, driving, heading off, and thinking to ourselves, so much, I work so hard, I sacrifice so much, I do 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 so
sacrifice so much. I just wish I would get the respect from my wife. I wish I would get the respect from my family. No one respects me. They make fun of me. They pick on me. It just seems like I don't get the respect. I just can't. I come and I sit down because I'm tired. It seems like no one respects me. And you know, we can get bitter. We can get bitter. And what happens when we get bitter? We fail the grace of God. Bitterness has sprung up. And let's men be face you and I see that, oh, hi, Mr. Stone. Oh, hey, good to see you. How are you doing today? Oh, your, your work is amazing. Good job. They may respect me. Maybe, maybe they'd respect me. Watch out. The antenna are up. Fornication is knocking. Contrary to what the society says, it's a little bit different for you, but very similar. Woman sit there and think, it doesn't, he just doesn't get me. He doesn't meet my emotional needs. He doesn't love me. He doesn't, hopefully he's fine. But, but oftentimes, guys, whoop, missed that one. Oops, sorry. Hopefully we're dwelling with them according to knowledge, men. But, you know, just got to be honest. We've missed a time or two in, in the marriage. Yeah, none of you are raising your hand. I'll raise we don't want to raise our hand. I don't want to admit to this, guys. Okay, let's just assume that you have without raising your hand. Yeah, we've missed it. Anyway, the wife thinks, oh, I just wish he would, I just wish he would take care of me and meet my needs. I wish he would love me. I, I, I don't feel that he loves me. He just does his own thing. He doesn't really take care of me. I, I need someone to meet my needs. What's happened? You fail the grace of God. You stew on it for a while. Bitterness is right there knocking at the door. To be honest, the next time you meet a guy who seems caring and tender, maybe he'd meet my needs. Maybe he seems nice. What just happened? That's how affairs, that's how marriages get broken apart because of bitterness. Fornication comes as a result oftentimes of bitterness. No matter where you're at, no matter how old you and I are, fornication is one of the sins. We follow one of the perfect examples. He didn't like what mom and dad did, so what did he do? He spited them by doing immoral things. And Genesis doesn't give us all the details, but Hebrews does fill in a little bit of the cracks here. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to act out. I'm going to do my own thing. And he lived his own way. He was fornicating. We're actually, some of us tonight that are serving in our mind and what we do and what we read and what we Something you've been keeping something you justified garbage on the television, on Netflix, on YouTube, or whatever, on social media because you said, well, well, you know, I can handle this. You know, my life isn't that great otherwise, so we deserve something. Our family hasn't. No, 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 no. You have failed the grace of God. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly righteous and godly in this present world. We have failed grace. We've let bitterness come up, and as a result, fornication is there. There's a second sin. Verse number 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. It may be that you're not a fornicator, but it could be that you're profane. What is profanity? Don't give me any, please. But what is profanity? It's dirty speech. That's definitely part of it. That's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Profanity, the Bible word profane means empty. So whenever you see profane, it's an empty person. Esau, what, how is he empty? 
buys the birthright. And that's what the example is here given. The birthright is something special, something you desire. And what did Esau do? Ah, fine, sure, whatever. I don't care. Pfft. He was empty. And I can tell you, I can tell you, I can tell you. Failing grace of God because the issues in their past became bitter at their parents and as a result treated the spiritual with whatever. And sometimes it goes hand in hand with fornication. The hardness comes over their heart like ah, whatever. Church, truth, Bible, Christianity, whatever. It's empty. That's the essence of profanity. It's empty. When somebody has to use profane language, they do so because they have And they can't be believed. God's people shouldn't have to do that. We should have something of solidity inside. Because sometimes God's people become profane, not in our language, but in our lifestyle. We just become empty. And it could be that tonight you're hearing spiritual things like, eh, yeah, we're here for Monday Night Revival. You guys want to sit here in a few minutes front? I might go home. We're here for prayer time. You guys don't pray. What good is that? I've tried it before. It doesn't work. And you are a profane Christian. You're an empty Christian. You haven't had much peace. You haven't had much joy. You haven't had much passion, much excitement. There was a time, perhaps years ago, where you can point to, hey, this is where God worked in my heart and life, and we're going to do this, and I'm excited. And now you've let the hurts of life, you've let the disappointments, you've let kid problems or marital problems or ministry problems, whatever problems, you've let those in, you've let them sour you. And make you bitter, and as a result, you're just like, Church, truth. Bible. Nothing gets us excited. You're profane. You're empty. Could it be that it's because of bitterness? Because of failing the grace of God? We have to look diligently at this. And this is not something, again, that we have to do once and done. Okay, once and done, got my bitterness shot, I'm good. No. This is something that you and I have to do regularly, hourly. What are we doing with grace? Are we failing the grace of God? God cuts you off the truck. Yeah, you just failed the grace of God. Husbands, wives, say something. Kids, do something. Yeah, you just failed the grace of God. And I'm not saying we're perfect. None of us will be. But we consistently fail the grace of God. And if we're not careful, we let that well up within our soul and become bitterness very quickly. And that bitterness can lead to fornication or profanity. So what's the way out? Hebrews was written like James to struggling Christians. And look with me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, listen, the most unjust, inhumane thing that's been ever done to any man was when you and I put Jesus on the cross with our sins. And what did he say? Father, forgive. Looking unto Jesus. Notice verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Notice where we give up. We give up in the mind. We've already won. We're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Paul makes that clear. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So we have the grace given to us to do what God's called us to do. 
We've been called to glory and virtue, and we've been given that ability to do that through the grace of God. So when we give up, we are failing grace. We're saying, no, I can't, I can't, it's not fair, because we're not considering him. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me just ask you, and please answer out loud, is this world fair? Is life fair? Is life going to mistreat us? Yes, guaranteed. But you know what? He's already won. We've got to keep looking at him. In the whole passage here of Hebrews 12, there's people who are hanging down. Their hands are hanging down. Their knees are weak. They're like, I can't. I can't. And the author says, lift up the hands that hang down. Lift up the weak knees. And say, hey, point them to Jesus. Hey, I know it's been tough. I know it's been challenging. And that's why you and I need a body of Christ. We can't just float and kind of pretend like we belong to some sort. No, we have to be connected into a local Bible-believing body. And that's why this is more than just coming and taking up space in a pew. Sometimes we're guilty of letting people walk out the door knowing they're hurting, and yet we didn't challenge them biblically. This is not just pastor's job. It's not just the deacon's job. It's all of our jobs. Lift up the hands that hang down. Make the path straight. Help the feeble knees. That's all of our jobs. And if you see somebody that's going through something, hey, hey, I know friend has been tough. I know it's been challenging. I'll, I'll take care of your food today. I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A. But hey, keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to him. Keep looking to him. Don't get bitter. Don't fail the grace of God. I know it's been challenging. I know you've been going through some hardship in your marriage. I know you've been going through some hardship physically, financially, whatever the case is. But keep looking to Jesus. He went all the way. He endured. And so so can you. Keep looking into him. Consider him. If there's such contradiction of sinners against himself, let you be weary and straight in your mind. Keep looking into Jesus. So what's the answer? How, how, do we, how do we not fail grace? Looking to Jesus. And practically, how do we forgive? Forgiveness is one of the biggest issues we're facing. I realize that not every situation is forgiveness, but most are. Most of the issues we're talking about tonight are interpersonal problems. How do we forgive? Forgiveness is not psychoanalyzing the situation. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Because some of you are living with something right now or are living without somebody right now where you can't forget it. You are reminded every day, perhaps multiple times a day, that you don't have somebody, you don't have something. You're doing without. You can't forget about that. Some of the little sibling squabbles, yes, forgive and forget. It should be the monster. But forgiveness is not always forgiving because sometimes you can't. Forgiveness is not necessarily that, well, I'm just going to pretend nothing happened. We're good at that, aren't we? Little things get said and we just brush it under the rug and then, you know, six months later we just go back to as is yet the hurt is still there. We haven't dealt with it. Forgiveness is decision to tread the jewel needless. What kind of list is that? The list we all keep in our hearts. Hearts are deep well, is it not? <coughs> we keep it. Again, some of us are keeping hurts that were done to us decades ago. We've won the argument. We know they were wrong. I was right. And I'm not saying that you were wrong. I'm not saying they were right. I'm not saying that at all. But forgiveness is saying, God, I'm choosing by your grace to shred the you owe me list. Hurts come up. Little things happen. All of us keep them in our hearts. Church members hurt us. Other friends or family members say things. Kids embarrass us. I'll remember that next time you guys want to go out for ice cream. We keep those in our hearts. And forgiveness is by the grace of God saying, I don't have to do that. 
you set a prisoner free, then you realize you were the prisoner. Could it be tonight that there's some of us who are living in prison? Oh, I'm not in prison. I'm not in a chain gang on the side of the road. No, no, no. You're far worse prison. You're in bitterness. Something happened in growing up. Something happened at work. Something happened in physically. Some, something happened. You're hanging on to it. And as a result of failing the grace of God, bitterness is there. It's troubling you. It's defiling others. It's a poison that is in your life. It's killing you from the inside out. And it's the result of that bitterness is fornication or profanity or both. You can do two things tonight. You can say no. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to keep it. And you can walk out that door still bitter, still miserable, still functioning perhaps. But let me just tell you, friend, you're destroying your family. You're destroying your ministry potential. You're destroying your joy that God has set before us. Or we can get honest. Yeah. I've been hanging on to that thing that was said to me decades ago. I've been hanging on to that hurt, that lack, that loss. Maybe it's that God who took something or took somebody from you and you just feel like it wasn't right, it wasn't the right time. And you're hanging on to it, and you have to tonight realize it's caused me bitterness. I failed the grace of God. I don't understand it. I may never, but I choose by God's grace to let go of this and say, God, I trust you. I choose to forgive this person. I choose to let go of that hurt. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be in bitterness anymore. I'm not going to stay in that poison. I'm not going to stay in that dungeon. I'm going to let go, and I'm going to choose to walk in grace because he says I can. I don't even know what that looks like because I've held on to this so long. Friends, there is hope. You don't have to stay where you're at. But you've got to get honest. You've got to get honest. Yeah, it's me. Bitterness is such an ugly word, isn't it? We don't want to actually call ourselves, well, pray for me, I've had some problem with some anger management. Pray for me, I've had some unresolved conflicts. You're bitter. Just say it. There's power in being honest. There's power in openly confessing. Yeah. God, you know where I've been. This is something, honestly, that I have to deal with daily. Little things happen, little setbacks, little issues. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll sulk, we'll get bitter, we'll get mad, we'll, we'll get angry, we'll leave the house a little bit upset at people. We'll just That's wrong. That's not applying the grace of God. That's not what God has enabled you and I to do. Tonight's a great opportunity for you and I to go free. You can. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. I didn't speak to this tonight really much at all.